Chris. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. I'm Chris Moore, um, retiring uh, chair of the Environment Committee um, with my co-chair, Reed Dutchin. And I'm delighted to have such a good crowd here. This is an incredible opportunity. And I want to introduce you to Karen Abrams, who is the new chair. And uh, she is a longtime member of St. Columbus, taught Sunday school. She plays the oboe and has been in the um, uh, Orchestra, the St. Columbus Orchestra, and now she is the chair, and I think going to be a wonderful chair of the Environment Committee. Karen. Thank you. Oh, yes, it is on. Um, yes, so welcome uh, to today's forum um, sponsored by the Environment Committee. I'd like to introduce uh, Sukrit. Um, so, okay, and with the Solar United Neighbors. Um, he's going to present to us on what it takes to get solar panels um, on your house and the different approaches uh, that you can take to do that cost-effectively um, in partnership with Sun. So um, this is uh, the first forum of the year that the Environment Committee has sponsored. We're looking forward to kicking off um, our year with a meeting in person uh, next Sunday at 12.30. If you'd like to follow up with any questions about this presentation or folks who are listening online right now want to further the discussion, come join us at 12.30 next Sunday in room 212. Um, and then, of course, we have a plant sale uh, planned like we have in years past on Mother's Day, and that helps to raise funds for Sustainable Villages Honduras, which is making an impact on the uh, disparate impacts of climate change on um, our global communities. So those are a few things coming up. Um, and with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Sukrit. Also, is there a clicker for the slide deck? Oh, or? let me ask, yes, there should be a clicker for the slide thing. Well, I'll go do that. Testing. To Perfect. Can you guys hear me okay? All right. Um, good morning, everyone, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and good morning to everyone who is tuning in online as well. And before I jump into this really dense slide deck, just a quick, you know, show of hands. Who has solar over here? Okay. Handful. Who is here to just learn about the basics of solar or just curious? Perfect. And who's here for my dad jokes? Couple of you, perfect, that's reassuring. But thank you for being here, and before I get into this, quick introduction again. My name is Sukrit Mishra. I work for a solar nonprofit based here in Washington, D.C. It's called Solar United Neighbors, AKA Sun. Yeah, fancy name. It's based out of DuPont Circle. We started off back in 2014, and um, our bread and butter are what we run every year is what we call solar and EV charger co-ops. We started back in 2014 just in the district, and since then we have expanded nationally to 12 states and Puerto Rico. And yeah, it's good to be here. And Karen, I'm still waiting for the clicker, or? Okay, next slide, please. Uh, can you go to the one before this? Perfect, that's perfect. So when we start these presentations, we just want to reiterate when it comes to recommendations and the information we provide, 
we are a 501c3 nonprofit. What that means is uh, we have a national mission which is based around educating folks around the benefits of solar. Number two, we help them or provide them with options on how to go solar in our co-ops or individually if they prefer that option. And number three, the biggest thing is legislatively representing the rights of solar owners and preserving their rights. You know, it's not a straight line when it comes to progress in solar. There are a, couple of, there are a few states where we are operating and it's, it's uphill battle. We try to protect the existing rights. Sometimes we have an uphill battle with utilities and that's where we step in. So that's what makes us a 501c3 nonprofit and we maintain a neutral stance. So what I mean by that is when people ask us for specific recommendations like, hey, I received a couple of proposals, tell me which is the best installer. I will use my diplomatic language to the best of my ability to maintain a neutral stance and give them all the facts they need, but they will make the final decision. And next slide, please. And yeah, just to reiterate, we help new, new, new folks go solar. We preserve the rights of existing solar homeowners, and we also have a legislative battle. That's us in a nutshell. And in terms of our national impact, since our inception back in 2014, across the 12 states and Puerto Rico and states where we provide pro bono consulting, oops, we have helped more than 8,500 8, families go solar. This is inside and outside the co-ops. That translates to 55 megawatts of solar energy. If you're not an engineer or a solar professional, which I'm assuming most of you are not, that just translates to a whole lot of solar. Next slide, please. And to be specific in DC, since we started off, we have had 1,100 people go solar with us in our co-ops. That's around five megawatts of, yeah. perfect. That's around five megawatts of solar. We have invested almost $15 million in local solar, and you can read the rest of the numbers, but it's a lot, whole lot of difference in the past nine years or so. Oops, it's not working for whatever reason. Perfect, so quick inception story. This is the last slide before I really get into the nitty gritty. But back in 2007, I don't know how many of you watched that big documentary, The Inconvenient Truth. Um, our founder, Anya Schoolman over there, and on the left, that's her son, uh, Walter, and his friend, Diego. They watched this documentary in school, got inspired, came back home and said, Mom, we're interested in making a difference. We want to get into solar energy. Anya did her research, and she realized there wasn't much solar to begin with in the district. Solar was incredibly pricey back then, so it was like a luxury good back then. And she went about starting her very first co-op in the district. And back then it was based in uh, the first Ward 1 in, in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood. And it start started off with a small group of homeowners, around 50 homeowners who wanted to go solar together. And it was based around the co-op model, which is the bulk purchase price model, or what I call the Costco model, discounted rate. And since then, we have expanded our membership to all 50 states, and we are trying to run more co-ops beyond the 12 states that we are running in. 
And uh, we just ran one in DC last year. We'll continue to do it at least one co-op each year in DC. And uh, we also run info sessions such as this one to Canvas and just get people involved in these co-ops. So what we'll cover today, um, I broke it down into three parts. The first one will be incredibly dense. That's the one to do with solar technology. The second part is the most popular one. That's why most people show up here, solar economics and how much money people save. And number three, for people who actually want to go solar in our co-ops, I go over the co-op model real quick. Next slide. So, Solar 101. You have seen these on roofs over here, I'm sure, but they're also called solar modules, solar panels, solar PVs, or photovoltaic cells. You can just call them panels. Everyone knows what they are. And their basic function is to convert the sunlight or the energy that they're receiving from the sun into a usable form of electricity for your household. And in terms of dimensions, usually these panels are five and a half feet long by three and a half feet wide, and their average weight is around 40 pounds. Most roofs in DC can support that weight, so that's not an issue. But again, I mean, our Go Solar team is, whenever it comes to these roofs, we do pro bono consultations. Sometimes people have tree shade. Sometimes they think the roof's too small. That's where our team steps in, and we're happy to do free roof reviews and let you know if you're a good, good fit for rooftop solar. And in terms of wind rating, we this we bring this up because we recently expanded to states like Florida and Texas, where you know they do face the hurricane season. So solar panels, on average, can sustain wind speeds of up to 140 miles per hour. In DC, that's not an issue, but just an FYI. So what you see here is what the panels are actually made of. These are the elementary units, or the frame, the glass, the solar cells. You don't need to know this. This is what you need to know. We just try to show this to people just to show how sophisticated the technology is and it continues to evolve. But this is what panels look like. That's a ground-mounted system. Usually people install ground-mounted systems when the roof is not a good fit or they're looking to maximize their solar uh, system size. It just depends on a variety of factors. But that's what a solar array looks like. One panel is just a panel. A collection of panels is what they call a solar array. So when you work with an installer or any other solar professional, they will refer to your system as a solar array. And when it comes to rooftop solar, the panels don't just go directly on the roof. There's usually some sort of a medium or what we call a racking system on which they go, and then that racking system is installed on the roof. And when it comes to racking systems, some of these systems uh, involve penetration, which means drilling holes into your roof. And the most common question I get is, well, that's going to damage my roof, or it's going to mess up my roof warranty. In 99% of the cases, that is not the case. Your roof is incredibly sturdy and durable to sustain panels, and we have not had this issue when it comes to our co-ops. So if that's your big fear, that's not a problem when it comes to solar technology. And if you still have reservations, the installer will install it in such a way to preserve the integrity of the roof and still help you save money on your electric bills. But this is an example of an asphalt single, uh, shingle roof here in DC. I believe this installation happened before the pandemic, so almost four or five years ago in one of our co-ops. And uh, yeah, this, this was an example of something that happened in our co-op. 
This is a, you know, a slanted roof, but solar also goes on flat roofs where it's actually installed at an angle to maximize how much sunlight they're receiving. That's a lot of technical information. I know it's dense, but it's more than you need to know. Next slide. And again, this is an example of a flat roof and what we call a standing metal seam roof. So this was actually installed in our, he's now our vice president of Go Solar Programs. This is his roof. And what happened was flat roof, they wanted to optimize how much sunlight it was receiving, so it was installed at an angle. And, you know, it's still operating. It's, I believe the system is around five years old by now, but solar panels usually have a lifetime of 25 years, so, um, you know, it's still in, in its infancy. But again, another example of a solar installation here in DC. And another example of ground-mounted systems. This is usually installed by around 5% of our members, or when I do pro bono consultations. Not as popular an option in DC because people have limited yard space or other options, but you know, roofs, when your roof is not a good fit, maybe it's an old roof. It cannot sustain that weight. Maybe you have too much shade, or maybe there's some other factor. That's where we recommend ground-mounted solar. It's usually more pricey than rooftop solar because there's trenching involved. There's a lot of wiring and you know, a lot of configurations involved on the ground level, so it makes it more pricey. But again, if you still want to go solar, this is the alternative to rooftop solar. Inverters. So like I said almost five slides ago, it starts off with the modules receiving the sunlight. Once they receive the sunlight, they receive it in the form of what we call DC current or direct current and it's converted into AC, or alternating current. That conversion needs to be done so that it can be used by the appliances in your household, and it's usually done by these inverters. They convert it into a usable form of electricity. And when you work with installers in DC or anywhere else, you're usually given two options. First is the basic string inverter, and then what you also have, what we call the micro-inverters. With string inverters, there's just one inverter that's connected to your whole system. It's really basic, really simple, cheaper than, what we, oh, cheaper than micro inverters. The advantages are it's simple, easy to install. On the flip side, if it goes down, it stops the whole system from running. Or let's say one of the modules go down, then you have to troubleshoot the whole system. In recent years, micro inverters have become more popular, and in my experience in the past three years, Microinverters make up around 90 to 95% of the installations. The benefit is microinverters are embedded or connected to individually to each of the panels, which means if one of the panels go down, you're still fine. The rest of the system is still working. You can reach out to the installer and let them know that, hey, one of my panels are down. Doesn't mean I'm not saving money on my builds, but you know, it preserves the integrity of the whole system. And again, there's a lot of engineering involved here, so if you have more questions, you can always reach out to me and you'll have my contact information, but this is the first step after the solar panels, inverters. The third component of the whole solar system are electrical panels. The good news is 95% of the households in DC, even though they're old, the panels are fine as they are. We also call it the conditioning device because what the, panel, what the electrical panel does, does is once it receives the electricity from the inverters, it's basically distribu distributing it across your household in the most efficient way possible. It's basically assessing what you need it for most. Your TV, your fridge, something else in the household, and it distributes it accordingly. 
And when the installer checks out your property, they look at your system, your roof, they also check your electrical panel. They look at it as long as it's no more older than, on average, the mid-1960s, you should be fine. If it's incredibly obsolete, they'll let you know that it needs replacing, and they usually do this as a part of the installation service. So it's not too pricey, and this is something that installers offer as a pro bono service. And lastly, when it comes to the solar system itself, there are two keywords you need to know. The first is KW or kilowatt, and the second word is KWH or kilowatt hours. When it comes to KW, uh, that basically defines the size of your system. So for example, what you see here are six times two, that's 12 panels. That's an array of 12 panels. Each of them are 350 watts. Multiply 350 by 12, that's 4,200 watts, or 4.2 kilowatts. You need to know this because when the installer designs your system, they will charge you based on your system size. So if you don't know the numbers or you're getting confused here, we are happy to do pro bono consultations and answer those questions. But KW, what you need to know is that's your system size. KWH is what your system is producing. So when, when you get your monthly electrical bills, when Pepco charges you for each month, they charge you in kilowatt hours. You know, I often hear from neighbors who complain that I have the so same solar system size as my neighbor, but he's being charged less. Well, it could be because their system is producing more, or maybe they have let few, uh, you know, lesser roof shade, or maybe there might be fewer obstacles on the roof, which is why their electrical, electric bill might be lower. So KWH is what comes on the electric bill at the end of the month. That's all you need to know. So all in all, what does that mean? Five steps. Number one, that's the sun over there. Panels are receiving the sunlight in the form of DC or direct current. It then goes to step two, or the electric panel, where the conversion's taking place from DC to AC. Then it goes to the, electri uh, the electric panel over there, which is distributing it across your house so that you can use that electricity. And the last part is what we call net metering. And what that means is there are days in the summer where you won't be at home and your panels will be producing ele extra electricity. That electricity does not go to waste. It actually goes back to the grid and you're compensated in the form of credits. It's a surplus, which is another bonus. And so what happens is in the winter months where your panels are not as efficient, uh, you're getting that electricity from Pepco, but because you produce a surplus, it basically cancels out. So, next slide. so that's what net metering means. So the first row you see there is electricity used from the grid. That's basically in the winter months where your panels are not as productive. You need the electricity from Pepco. So that's 300 kilowatt hours. In the summer months is what we call electricity exported. So your panels were working over time, producing a lot of electricity, which you were not using. It went back to the grid. That's deducted from your total usage. And instead of paying an electric bill for 300 kilowatt hours, you're just paying it for 100 kilowatt hours. Not an easy concept, I know. It's fine. If you have qu uh, qu we'll save questions for, for the end, but I'll be happy to answer this. But yeah, this is the concept of net metering big benefit of solar energy. If you're producing extra, you're compensated at the, end, at the end of the year. Thanks. 
This is the criteria we use when it comes to solar and roofs, and this is what installers also use when they're assessing a roof's viability for solar. Number one is roof orientation. Any roof that faces the eastern, western, or southern direction is a great fit for solar. The best direction is south, simply because, I don't want to go into astronomy, but the Earth is leaning into the sun because we live in the northern hemisphere. So the best direction for your roof is south. That's what installers prefer. Eastern and western are just fine. They're also a good fit if your southern-facing roof is, you know, it's got a lot of tree cover or whatever reason. The only direction we do not recommend are north-facing roofs because it's facing away from the sun or being in the northern hemisphere. So east, west, south, you're good. Northern roofs, not so good. When it comes to shading, what we recommend is as long as you have at least 200 square feet of open roof space that's not affected by shading, you should be fine. In our co-ops, when people apply, if they're on the border, say they have around 180 square feet of open space, we give them the benefit of doubt. But anything lower than that, they're not a good fit. And sometimes people push back, we let them in, but they eventually get rejected by the installer. So just something you should know. And yeah, enough space. What I mean by that is 200 square feet, eastern, western, and southern directions. We are flexible when it, for around 10 to 20 square feet. Anything lower than that, it's a problem. And these are the questions we get asked most often. The first one is warranties. Panels from most installers usually have a warranty of 25 years. When it comes to the microinverters, they usually have a warranty from anywhere from 10 to 25 years depending on the brand or whoever you're dealing with. And when it comes to the homeowner's insurance, there's a common myth that if I install solar panels, it's gonna significantly increase my homeowner's insurance, it's gonna create problems. We have market data that proves otherwise. Your roof is still an ideal candidate for solar. It's still financially viable. And when you're selling your property, it's actually an asset here in DC. Number three, when it comes to maintenance, the biggest plus of solar is once a system is installed on your roof, it's going to be sitting there for the next 25 to 30 years doing its job. There is minimal maintenance required. You're saving electricity bills for the next 25 or 30 years. Once in a while, you might have leaves that fall on the roof. And for whatever reason, people reach out and say, and they think it's a good idea that, hey, I have a panel. It's got leaves. Shading's an issue. Should I go up there and remove it? Absolutely not. Your panel will still be producing electricity. They're still fine. The microinverters will still be covering your electricity bills. Under no circumstances should you go up there and remove anything. If it's really a big issue, call up your installer. You have a contract for a reason. You're paying for that system. They'll help you out. But again, maintenance is minimal when it comes to solar systems. For the first 25 to 30 years, that's when they're operating at their best level or optimum level. When it comes to HOAs here in DC, a law was passed back in 2018 when they cannot, where they cannot deny you from going solar or prohibit you from going solar. The only exception is if you live in historic districts where sometimes people have reservations and they say, I don't want to see my neighbor's panels because it looks ugly. Yeah, I mean, to each their own, but if that's an issue, the installer designs your system in a way in historic districts where the panels are not facing a public view or a public street. They'll probably face another direction, it'll still work out, but your installer will work with you through this process. Yeah. Okay. 
I won't be able to complete the slide deck, but that's okay. Second segment, economics. Like I said, when we were founded back in 2007, solar was incredibly expensive. Only commercial properties could have purchased solar back then. In fact, it used to be around three to four times as expensive as it is today. And costs have come down significantly. And the tax credits used to be at 26% till last year. I'm providing this number because it used to be 26%, but because of the IRA, which was passed last year, it's actually gone up to 30%, which means if you have a large enough federal tax burden, you can actually claim a 30% discount or rebate on your, uh, on your installation fees. For example, if this is just a hypothetical you know, example. If your whole system cost was $10,000, let's say you have a large enough federal tax burden, you can cl claim those tax credits for up to $3,000. And the best part is, this rolls over from one year to the other. If you don't have a large enough burden, it can roll over to the next year until the year 2032. So that's a big incentive on the federal level. And yeah, I mean, we just show this because when it comes to installers, around 50 to 60% of their costs are around soft costs, which, is, which has to do with advertising, market acquisition, customer research, and all that other stuff. And I'll explain why I'm, why I'm showing this, because when we run the co-ops, we're actually canceling a lot of these soft costs, which allow the installers in the co-ops to provide discounted rates as compared to going solar on your own. And this is the big slide. This is what everyone's always interested in. Lots of numbers, just bear with me. I'll just give you one example. The example on the left is a 4KW system or 4,000 watts. When it comes to the costs, the average insulation cost we have seen in DC over the last five years is $3 per watt. You multiply that by four or 4,000, that comes out to a total cost of $12,000. And then you take a federal tax credit on that of 30%. You deduct it from the total cost, and that's your upfront cost, $8,400. And assuming the system runs without any issues for 25 years, you're offsetting your electricity bills. That's how much you save over one year, 10 years, and 25 years, the system's lifetime. And then there are also SREX, which are virtual credits. It's like a production incentive. This is something the DC government advertised, where they said, you know, we want to actually reward you for going solar. For, so for every 1,000 kilowatt hours that your system produces, we'll give you a credit, which you can sell in the ESRIC market, and DC actually has the best ESRIC market across the whole nation. We call it the, it's our own financial market, but it's a huge production incentive. Because of ESRICs, the, the average payback period for DC residents is anywhere from six to eight years, which is significantly lower than any other states or even the, you know, in, in the DMV compared to Maryland and Virginia, it's far more competitive here. And um, if you have enough time, I'll go over this at the end, but for the meantime, let's go to the next slide. And besides owning solar or purchasing solar, sometimes people can't afford it, which is okay. There are other options here. You can work with loan provider, providers such as credit unions or Easy Solar, who have done a great job in the recent years. They have options. If that's not an option for you, then you can still get the benefits of solar through PPAs or power purchasing agreements. What that means is you're purchasing power from other developers who have solar panels at a lower rate than utilities. So whatever Pepco is charging you, PPAs will probably charge you around 25% of that. 
The upside is you're saving money on your electric bills. The downside is you don't own the system, which means you don't get any tax credits or SRECs or any of that stuff. You're still saving money, but just be mindful of who owns the system. Leases, similar to PPAs, you pay a fixed monthly fee. You're still benefiting from the solar system offsetting your electric bills. And we have more information on our website, but if I go into this, I'll run out of time. So I'll just leave it at that for now. Next slide. Uh, yeah, I just went over this in the previous slide, but clean energy credit unions, they're a big source here in DC and Maryland. Um, installers also provide their own financing options through easy solar and third-party providers, which is great. And home equity lines. You know, these are options that are usually explored by DC residents who can't afford solar. And then if any of these options also don't work out for you, for low to moderate income residents, there is a solar for all program that, D that the DOE and the DC government is running. They have an objective of providing free solar in installations to income qualified folks through the year 2032. And they have a target of 100,000 residents. They'll get those installations at zero upfront costs. And they also have the objective of reducing their electricity bills by at least 50% but you have to be income qualified for that. And if you have any questions or if you know of friends who could benefit from that, send them my way, stay, you know, stay after this session, I'm happy to give you my card and I'll connect you with them. I can get it done, yeah. <laughs> Lastly, I tried, I mean, it's, you know, it's a big slide deck, I tried reducing information, but yeah. So why join a solar co-op? Usually there are two big benefits. Number one, like I said, we, redu we reduce an installer's soft costs. In doing so, they're allowed to provide a discounted rate in our co-ops as compared to going solar on your own. We don't commit to a single number, but on average, co-op members save anywhere from 15 to 20% as compared to going solar on their own in the co-ops. And the other big benefit is, okay, now my voice is booming, so apologies for people in the back, but. The other big benefit is, you know, solar is not your daytime job. That's my job. So if people have questions during the co-op process, you can reach out to us at any point. We will answer your questions at no cost to you. We will evaluate your proposals from installers at no cost to you. And if you're still not happy with the installer, you can still leave the co-op and cancel your agreement as long as you do so before signing the contract. So there's no cost to join the co-op or leave it, provided you do so before signing a contract with the installer. So those are the two big benefits. And yeah, this is the, usually the timeline. It's usually eight months long. The big benefits uh, are once you, you know, in, attend one of these info sessions, you're interested, you can join it on our website. And you have the power of p picking an installer. We are 501c3 nonprofit. We are neutral. We don't make a decision. Our members make that decision. And then you work with the installer. They will do a consultation for each person specifically. They'll look at your roof, they'll customize your system, and then you can send it to us if you have questions, and we will answer any questions. And assuming you sign the contract, then you get the benefits of solar power three or four months after it's interconnected, and it gets the permitting done by PEPCO. And yeah, pleasure being here. I know I kind of ran through it, I, but if you have any questions, that's my email, dcteam at solaryourdadyandneighbors.org. And you can reach out to me. Just let me know that you came to this info session. And it usually takes me anywhere from 24 to 48 hours to get back to you. And I'm going to stop now. But thank you so much.
Oh boy. So if people have um, questions, you can come to the mic um, up there. Um, I have to say my family installed solar panels in 2017 on a north-facing flat roof, and we've, they got paid back a couple years ago. So uh, the finances really do work. We did not work with Sun, but maybe we should have. Um, so if there are any questions, please go to the mic. I mean, how many solar companies are there in I don't have a specific number, but there are tons of installers here. The best way to find them is there's this website called Energy Sage. We always recommend that, company, uh, that website because they have neutral information when it comes to installers. Energy Sage. Energy and the word Sage, S-A-G-E. And they're fairly neutral with their data, which is why we recommend them to folks. But yeah, DC has the best market, so yeah. So my question is if you join a solar co-op, mm -hmm. who gets the tax credit, the homeowner, the co-op, how does that work? So you get the tax credits. Whoever owns the system, whoever pays for the system, they get the tax credit, which is the co-op member. Okay. Thank and uh, the installer does not get that. So that's a common question. You'll benefit from it. Thank you very much. Of course. Thanks, Ugrid, for a good uh, presentation. Sure. Um, the question I have is how much can you export? Uh, can you, what's the maximum export? Can you export beyond consumption? So there are limits. Right now, you can size your system up to 140% of your electricity bills. And in DC, it's going to hit a limit of 200% in 2025. So that's the sizing of the system. There are no limits when it comes to exporting, but you're not going to get a surplus in terms of payments. As long as you cancel out your electric bill, you're fine. That's the big limit. You do not get any bonuses beyond that. Uh, two quick questions. One, sure. the age of your roof. I would assume you would be best served if you have a brand new roof. Right, so the only thing we say when it comes to roofs is, if you know it needs replacing in the next five or 10 years, we highly recommend it that you get it done before the installation, or work with the installer, let them know that, hey, I'm planning to replace it in the next five or 10 years. They have a contractor, they'll replace it for you. They have their own sources. Because what happens then is, sometimes people get impulsive, they get the installation done, and then five years later they realize, oh no, I'm in trouble, my roof is breaking down. That means the installer has to come back to your site, deinstall the panels, fix the roof, install it again, and that's added fees. So what I'm trying to say in a lot of words is if you know the roof needs replacing in the next five or 10 years, get it done before the installation. Um, second question, I was just reading something, but I don't understand that. I, an innovation of solar tiles mm -hmm. versus solar panels. So if you're maybe not a good candidate for panels, you could go with solar tiles, but is that a newer product and is it a proven product? Um, it is a proven product. I'm going to choose my words carefully here. Um, Tesla is one of the big providers when it comes to this, the solar shingles. And the big benefits that people claim are, it looks really good. Aesthetically, it's visually appealing. But people have this idea that if every single square foot of my roof is covered by solar shingles, it's going to create a lot of solar electricity and it's going to save me a lot, of, a lot on my electricity bills. That may be the case, but it depends from one roof to the other. You know, sometimes roofs are not angled in the right way. Sometimes you have tree shade covering 25% of the roof, which means even though you have solar shingles there, 
you're not benefiting from it. So it varies from one roof to the other. And it's still in its infancy, this technology. You know, the best, this is a bad example, but iPhones. We're, we're on what, iPhone 14 right now? iPhones came out in 2007. Back then, they were not so smart. I would say the same thing with solar shingles. Great technology, attractive, but it's still going to get, give it some time, another five or 10 years. It's going to get better. Unless you have a lot of money to dispose, I would you know, push it away for now. Just consider regular solar, just for the time being. Sukrit, thank you so much for this really informative presentation. Sure. I just wanted to mention that um, our council member, Matt Fruman in Ward 3, is really interested in this. He would really like to see lots of, lots of families um, install solar. And uh, Ward 3 uh, is, a, is a ward where people can afford to do that. Uh, in many cases, and so I think he's trying to support an effort to get Ward 3 residents to, to really move forward on this. Thank you again. Well, I, I'm going to bring out my salesperson skills here, but we are running a co-op in May, in May and he, he's welcome to join it. If he wants to go solar, solar sooner, then I can send him individual company names through Energy Sage, and that's also an option. Uh, good morning. My name is Tom Bowder. Yes, I have been part of the Buildings and Grounds Committee for a few years now. And I just wanted to tell you briefly, uh, I hope everybody knows that we have solar panels on our great hall roof, um, and we are looking at ways to upgrade, but we do not own those, uh, we don't own the panels. The panels are owned by a, an investor who gets the tax credits, but we get a reduced uh, electrical bill because of those panels. So that's another way um, that uh, the whole system can work and, and works for the church because the church can't get the tax credits anyway because we're tax exempt. But this is a process that we've uh, kind of worked on and it, it happens for a lot of different places. And we are looking for ways to expand our solar panels this year. Right, Chris? <laughs> right. And, and we invite you to come to the Environment Committee meeting next Sunday if you are interested in this, especially in the church, but if you're also interested in talking about establishing uh, a co-op uh, related somehow to St. Columbus. Um, so please do if you can. And just a couple of things before I take the next question, but you may be seeing sign-up sign sheets circulating here and there. So if you want to receive email updates or be on our system, just you know, be sure to provide your email and your name on that. And we won't spam you. I mean, it's just a follow-up email with our link to join the co-op and you know, relevant resources. Thanks. I have two questions. One is, do you work um, with people in Montgomery County? Right. Do you, okay. And the second is, um, is there an organization or a part of your organization that works on lobbying on this? It drives me batty every time I visit my parents in Arizona. There's no businesses with solar panels, very few private residences with solar panels. I don't understand how it can't be a requirement for developers there to be putting these in place. So to answer the first question, yeah, we do work in Montgomery County. Um, our program director, Kimberly Armstrong, is running the co-op there, and she's going to be running one in May. And I work on the back end on that stuff, so 
I'm the person in DC, but I can connect you with her. Second question, um, I feel the same way about Arizona, but I'll maintain a neutral opinion here, but we do, we do canvassing and we do legislative stuff in Arizona as well. And if you have any specific questions or a family member who is, you know, who wants to be volunteering for that stuff, I can connect you with our Arizona program director. So, yeah. Also, real quick, um, I, one of our partners, I mean, Julia, you're over here, but um, Ju Julia's cousin works with IPL, or Interfaith Public and Light, and Power and Light, and they do a great job connecting faith-based institutions with us and advocating for the benefits of solar. So just a quick shout out to her, and Julia, if you want to give a few words. Um, oh, thank you. Um, if you see the Lenten creation care calendars, we help put those together um, and help various, uh, help congregations of various faiths go green and get involved in climate action. Um, also, if anyone here lives in Maryland and would like to uh, take a picture with um, a poster we have to support um, legislation in Maryland that will uh, help people move away from um, burning gas. Uh, I would love to take some pictures. Awesome, thank you. Is that all? Any other questions? Ah, yes. Um, so we did work with this theater over here. Uh, where was it? It's. The, yeah, I'm just trying to see the neighbor. I forget the neighborhood, but Chevy Chase. Yeah, it was the Avalon Theater. Um, another nonprofit which wanted to really install a massive solar system on their rooftop, and we basically provided them with consulting services. They were also fundraising because that whole system costs them around $200,000. That's not what it costs homeowners. It's a huge system, but we were providing them with active consulting services. I believe the fundraising part is over. The system's either almost installed or they have the funds now, but it's gonna keep them running for the foreseeable future, and for the next 25 years, they'll not be paying anything on their electricity. So, you know, that's also some advocacy and policy work we do outside rooftop solar or for homeowners. Great. Thank you so much again. Thank you all very much. Uh, we do need to clear out for the next service, but I just wanted to say one last thing of thank you to Chris, um, who this forum and this connection was her brainchild with other members of the Environment Committee. And thank you, Chris, for your years of leadership to the committee, co-chairing with Reed. So thank you for that. Sucrete 